All right, uh, let's pray. Almighty God, you have called your church to witness that in Christ you have reconciled us to yourself. We ask that you grant by your Holy Spirit that we would proclaim the good news of your salvation so that all who hear it may receive the gift of salvation. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. <clears throat> all right, so today... We are on the second part of the law, which is, uh, we're continuing through the Ten Commandments. So this is the law part two. Uh, I'm going to do my best to get through all of the commandments today. I'm probably not going to do that. I'm going to do my best, like I said. Um, if we don't, I'll let you know, and then I'll have to change the schedule again. Um, if anything, we'll just add one more week here. It's just this is the most complex and there's usually a lot of questions and things that come up during this time. So let me just go through this. <clears throat> uh, last week, we covered the, uh, the division of the commandments. Commandments one through three are between God and man. So this, this vertical realm four through 10 are between man and man or man and his neighbor. Uh, and what we're doing is we're going through the full meaning of each commandment that what you should and shouldn't do in thought, word, deed, and desire. So that each commandment, it, you, you can't just simply take it in the, in, as is or in the simple reading of it to say, you shall not murder, but that there's more to it, right? And that's what we're doing here. Again, another uh, fair warning here that you... Um, as we go through this, you might learn that some things are sins that you didn't know before. And you may realize that you or a loved one is actually guilty of breaking these commandments. And you might feel ashamed or bad. Uh, remember that this is the law doing its work. So, and, and like I said, don't kill the messenger. Uh, I just, I want to show you what the scriptures say. And then if you do have questions afterward and say, I, you know what? I didn't even know that was a sin. I didn't know this was an issue. And I realize I've been doing this. I've been living this way or I've been saying this or believing this. Um, you can talk to me afterward. You can call or email or anything. And I'm happy to talk more with you. I know a number of you have sent me questions from last time. I haven't had a chance to respond. Um, and I'm going to in the next couple of days uh, through email. But uh, we covered also the first commandment, which is the chief commandment that you, you keep this one, you, you've kept them all. If you break any of the others, it's because you've broken the first, that you have another God. Now, I want to talk about keeping the law. <clears throat> um, you either do it or you don't. So in, in this analogy, in Star Wars, um, Yoda is teaching Luke to use the force and to raise the, the X-Wing fighter out of the swamp. Um, and then Luke is doubting his ability. And then he says something like, um, he says something like, well, uh, okay, I'll try. And then Yoda says, well, no, either do it, do or do not. There is no try, right? Well, that phrase, do or do not, there's no try, also applies to the law. Um, Either you do the law, you accomplish it, or you don't. But you don't get points for trying. S simply trying or doing your best is not fulfilling the law. 
And it's not keeping it perfectly. Remember, we talked about it pure, um, what a pure heart looks like or what purity or perfection looks like. Um, so either you keep the first commandment or you don't. And your intentions and efforts don't factor in uh, to, to say that you've failed or that if you fail, you can't just say, well, I meant to do good and God should just kind of pardon that and let me go. In fact, no, even the good, having a good intention but failing on the outcome is still sin. Uh, so we'll, we'll talk about this uh, as well as we go through the commandments. And I also want to point one other thing out about effort. If you have to try to keep the commandments, then what does it say about your nature? Uh, if you have to put in effort to keep a commandment, if you have to put in the effort to make God your God, to believe in him with all your heart, then what does it say about where you're starting? <laughs> you, that, that you're not there if you're having to strive for it. So the fact that we have to try and put in effort means that we are on the wrong side of the tracks to begin with, that we're trying to attain something. So, okay, just keep that in mind about trying and, and doing. So we covered the first commandment. Now we're on the second commandment. The second commandment is Exodus 20, verse 7. It says, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Uh, some of you may have learned it a different way. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And this is important, the misuse or in vain. This is key to understanding this commandment. Uh, the name of God is everything by which God is called and known. Uh, it's who he is. So, so uh, an analogy here. Uh, consider the American flag. Uh, the American flag is not the United States. However, the way you treat the flag reveals what you think and what you consider about the nation of the United States. So if you dishonor the flag, then you are dishonoring the nation. Uh, if you kneel during the national anthem, you're making a public testimony or displaying the fact that you dishonor the nation that it represents. Um, and if you honor it, then it shows you honor the, the, the nation. Well, the, the reality is that God's name is much more than just a representation of who he is. His name is who he is. So God's omnipresence means that he is truly wherever his name is. Uh, Matthew 18, 20, I think you guys know this verse well. It says, for where two or three are gathered in my name, what? There am I among them. <laughs> so, so that his name is not separate or removed like, like the flag would be, but rather it's joined uh, in, in a very deep way that, I don't know if we have an analogy for. So to dishonor the name of God is not simply to dishonor something that represents God, but it's to dishonor God himself. So with this, uh, the, the name of God, God reveals who he is. God is not some abstraction. Uh, he's not like a fill in the blank where we just kind of put whatever or plug in whatever name we want. God is not anonymous. Uh, anonymous means without a name. God reveals his name. In Exodus 3, God says, I am who I am, which in Hebrew is Yahweh. And then he says, this is my name forever. And thus, I am to be remembered throughout all generations, that you know him by his name, by what, who, uh, how he reveals himself and what he does. Uh, in Matthew 1.21, uh, 
uh, the angel Gabriel tells to Mary, uh, he says, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus is Yeshua, Joshua, which means Yahweh saves. <laughs> um, in John eight fifty eight, Jesus himself says, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. In Greek, that's rendered as ego, a me. Uh, but when Jesus said it, it would be Yahweh. So Jesus is claiming very clearly that he is the same God who created the heavens and the earth. He is Yahweh. Uh, so, so when you get to these, I don't know, these secular books or classes or podcasts that say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. No, he, he very clearly claimed to be God in, on multiple occasions. The clearest one is John 8 when he says, I am. Um, okay, so that's the name of God. He's not anonymous, but he has a specific name, Jesus, the Christ, God, uh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Uh, he says that he is in heaven. Uh, he, he warns us of hell, these sort of things. Now, I want to talk about what's forbidden in this commandment. <clears throat> it's, what's forbidden is misusing the name of God. That is calling out the name of God for no reason or purpose um, or for a wrong purpose. So there's a number of different ways you can misuse the name of God. I'm going to talk about three. The first one is cursing. Uh, this isn't just like four letter words. This commandment isn't simply about being polite or speaking appropriately in the context. So uh, let me just go off on a little tangent here. There's a lot of four letter words that aren't really bad words because we use euphemisms to say the same thing anyway. For example, um, maybe this isn't appropriate, but the word crap right? <laughs> or any variation of that word. I don't think that's a bad word. The reason is because parents will use the word, you know, they'll say poop. <laughs> it's, it's the same thing, right? I know it's kind of a silly thing, but um, we're saying, well, that's a euphemism for that. So they're both referring to the same thing. So one rendering of it shouldn't be bad if the other it, uh, is acceptable. Um, however, there are some words that are bad because of what they're referring to and what they're profaning. So, for example, the F word uh, is very bad because it takes something that is good that God created and profanes it and makes it bad. Right. So it takes something that is good, the, the beautiful union between a, a husband and a wife, and then it takes that and it makes it into something very uh, lowly and something profane and mundane and, and worthless. Um, so my point here is that the words are not bad because of the consonants and the vowels in it, <laughs> uh, as if one way to say it is, is wrong, but another rendering of the same word is right. Um, I, I think uh, that, that, that words are bad because of what they describe and what they're profaning. So bad words, I think, are immature, sure, uh, they're inappropriate at times. I wouldn't talk uh, talk that way in, in certain company or certain places. Uh, but anyway, the point that I'm making here is that this command is more than just saying bad words, whatever bad words you, you imagine. Um, it's, it's more than just talking in a certain way. 
Uh, Ephesians 5, 4 talks about filthiness and crude joking. But this is about immorality, specifically sexual immorality, which, which we'll see later. So what I want to get to is this. What does it mean to curse by God's name? It means to use the name of God and to say things like, oh, my God, right? Or to use a substitute of that OMG, which we do a lot of times in text or something. Or to say, ah, Jesus, right? Or Jesus Christ or something. Or to goddamn blank this or that. Or to say things like, what the hell? Um, the, the reason is because what we're doing is we're cheapening what hell is. Because hell is a real place where real people go. And it's awful. I mean, it's, it's just a, a, an awful thought to think of. That they're separated from all people and from God himself. But when you, when you use it in such a way, well, uh, what the hell? Um, it's becoming nothing. It becomes less and less and less of a real thing, right, in your mind. Um, <clears throat> well, and, and the list goes on. Uh, this is using the name of God in vain and talking about holy things in profane ways. Uh, Leviticus 19.12 says that you shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. And he says, I am the Lord. Uh, the, the, the actual word profane means literally outside of the temple. So, so the idea here is that either you're doing things outside of the temple uh, that should be done outside of the temple. You're doing them in the temple, which is the wrong place to do it. Or you're taking things from inside the temple outside where they shouldn't be. Uh, in other words, it's simply using these things in the wrong way, switching, taking what is holy and making it common, taking what is common and treating it like it's holy. It's mixing these things. So that's the first thing is taking the name of God in and cheapening it and making it something that we just throw away or that we say in frustration or anger. Or if you accidentally nail, you know, your hammer hits your nail and then you just blurt out God's name. Uh, well, th this is wrong. That's what the commandment is really getting at. Um, the second thing, so that's the first is cursing. The second is swearing. Now there, there's two kinds of, um, swearing that this commandment forbids. The first is needless swearing. So for example, it's like a parent who says to his child, uh, look, I swear to God, if you do that again, I'm gonna, you know, take your toys away or something. Well, <laughs> Well, you don't need to use God's name for that. Just say, I'm going to take that away. <laughs> Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. But you don't need to invoke God's name uh, in, in such a way. So that's needless swearing, right? Uh, there's many examples of that. But the other one is false swearing. Now, this is using God's name to support a lie. So that's saying, um, well, I swear to God, I didn't do it. When in fact you did. Now you've invoked the name of God, the holy name of God. You've asked God to be your witness to your lie. Now, th now that's bad. Now that, that is, that's, that's a very bad misuse of God's name. So those are two ways to use God's name in, in the wrong way. But there is a right kind of swearing. And I want to get at this and, and talk about this. Um, swearing is uh, at certain times appropriate. Uh, it's calling on God to witness that you are telling the whole truth. 
it's we call it an oath um, in this case swearing is permitted in fact even required when the glory of god or the welfare of our neighbor demands it so when you read matthew chapter 5 33 through 37 you'll hear jesus talk about don't swear about anything on heaven or on earth or so on and so forth um, what Jesus is doing there, he's condemning the false and needless swearing in daily life. In that moment, he just says, well, let your yes be yes and your no be no. If you're just talking about mundane things, if you're going to say, yeah, I'll be at the party, I swear to God. Just don't say that. Just say, yes, I'll be at the party. Let let your yes be yes. Um, Numbers 32 says, uh, if a man vows a vow to the Lord, he makes an oath or swears an oath to bind himself to a pledge, he shall not break his word. So he shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. So Numbers chapter 30 verse 2 tells us very clearly that there is a time when a man can swear or make an oath in the name of God. So for example, if you're in, in court, swearing in court, that is an acceptable time to make an oath or to swear by the name of God. To say, I, I, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. So help me God. Um, in your marriage vows, you invoke the name of God. You swear to God that you are going to be faithful to your spouse until death. Um, th- these are examples of good oaths. Now, if you want to see that I'm not just kind of ripping these out of context, uh, there are examples of this. Um, Paul called upon God to witness to the truthfulness of his testimony. And you can look these up. It's Romans chapter 1, verse 9, uh, and also 2 Corinthians 1, 23. Paul himself, an apostle of God, a pastor, uh, invokes the name of God in this way. In fact, even more, Jesus himself testified under oath. He swore to God that he was, in fact, the Messiah. And you can read this in Mark 14, uh, verses 60 through 62. So, so here we have biblical examples, even from Christ himself, swearing in the name of God. M- meaning there is a time and a place to do that. But it's not to be done flippantly. It's not to be done carelessly or needlessly. Um, okay, so we talked about cursing. We talked about swearing. Uh, now, there's a third thing. And of the three... This is the most damaging and the worst one. And this is false doctrine. This is the worst way to break the second commandment. Uh, It's the most blatant way to use the name of God in vain. So what false doctrine is, is simply saying that God said this blank when he in fact didn't. Or to take what God's word clearly says and say, well, he doesn't say that blank. So an example like baptism now saves you. Well, then to turn to those, that text and then say, well, it doesn't. And here's, here's the, the elaborate explanation why that's not what it is. Well, th- this is a problem. And this is why Jesus warns us of false doctrine. He uses the word beware uh, plenty of times in the New Testament. Um, and all but one time is he talking about false doctrine. Uh, so it's, it's a very, very serious warning. I want to tell you about this uh, in, in Jeremiah chapter 23. 
Starting at verse 31, this is what, what the Lord says. He says, um, Behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who use their tongues and declare, declares the Lord. That is, that their saying out of their mouth declares the Lord. Behold, I am against those who prophesy lying dreams, declares the Lord, and who tell them and lead my people astray by their lies and their recklessness when I did not send them or charge them. So they do not profit this people at all, declares the Lord. So to say that God approves of or no longer cares about certain sins means to lie about God and in his name. Uh, Jeremiah 23, 28 in that same section says, um, the Lord says, let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. So that if you're going to speak theology, you have to know what the Bible says. You got to know what you're saying and then speak it faithfully. That, that, the, that the test of a good pastor, of a good Christian, of a good theologian is, is faithfulness. If you're faithful to the word and say, this is what the word says, then you are good. Um, okay, uh, this is why also in James chapter 3, verse 1, uh, this is the exhortation that James says. He says, not many of you should become teachers, that is pastors, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Well, greater strictness than, from, than who? Um, than all other people who aren't teachers, that is, who aren't pastors. So that the pastor then is judged more harshly because it is now his job to speak the word of God. And he has to do it faithfully. So this second commandment is very, very important. Uh, it's important for all Christians, but it is very, very important for pastors. And they need to meditate on this commandment and realize what it's requiring them to do and what God has called them to do. So this is why we, we're to be very careful with doctrine. Doctrine is so important. What we say in the name of God, I start my sermons out by saying in the name of Jesus, meaning everything I'm about to tell you is in the scriptures. It is from God. And you need, to, you need to scrutinize what I say. You need to judge what your pastor says according to the Bible and hold that up and say, well, you said this. I, what, where, where's the scripture? I want to see this. So th that's very important. Uh, that's keeping the second commandment. So that's what's forbidden. What is commanded? Uh, well, commanded is to use God's name rightly. <clears throat> now, I want to talk about one quick thing, an overreaction to this commandment. The wrong reaction is to say, well, if God says don't misuse his name, well, what am I going to do? Just never say it. <laughs> so I'm not going to use the name of God. And if I just don't use it, then I'll be safe because I won't be, um, I won't fall into, into that trouble. Well, the, the Jews have done this. They've changed the name of God in the Bible so that they wouldn't mispronounce the name or say it on accident. Um, Jehovah, uh, th they've come up with the name Jehovah. Um, they've taken the consonants uh, from Yahweh, which is J, H, V, and H. And they've added the vowels of Adonai. And then they've merged it together. And that's where they came up with the name Jehovah. So that instead of saying Yahweh, we'll say Jehovah, just in case it's, a, it's an added layer of protection. 
Uh, I think that that's an overreaction. That's, I mean, God revealed his name for a reason. His name would be on our lips and we would say his name. So it's not wrong to say Yahweh. That is, that is God's name. But we're to be very deliberate and, um, and to hold it with high regard. So the right use of God's name is to call upon it in every trouble, uh, to pray, to praise God and to give thanks to him. Um, Psalm 103 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul says, Pray without ceasing. That is, have the name of God on your lips constantly. Um, which means, if you haven't prayed daily or regularly, or every time before you eat or go to bed or wake up or things like this, if you have been more worried than you have been in prayer, then you have certainly broken this commandment and misused the name of God. That if you're worried about something, what are you doing? You're, you're stewing in your own thoughts rather than what could you be doing? Praying. There, God is. He's, he's there for you. And you could call upon him in every trouble. But instead of doing that, you've just secluded yourself in your own thoughts and worried yourself sick to have ulcers. I mean, they, they've seen a connection that when the stock markets plunge, ulcers rise. <laughs> Imagine that. Yeah, seriously. There's a deep connection between these things. That's anxiety, right? Just people are worried about, about these things. So the treasure here, remember we talked about each commandment is protecting a treasure. The treasure here is the protection of God's name. It is a holy and precious thing. To have the name of God is to have something so precious and wonderful. It's like having God's phone number that you call upon him. You know which God to call upon and you say, hey, I need you in the middle of the night. I need you now. I know which God to pray to and I know that you're there for me and you will hear me and you will answer. Um, the, having the name of God, the fact that you're Christians means that you bear the name of Christ. That, that's an honor. Uh, that is a great privilege that God is getting. It's a gift. And that means a lot. To call yourself a Christian is, is very significant. You see a lot of people use the, the, the name Christian and say, well, I'm a Christian and who knows what they believe. They, they believe that all religions are the same or something. But to have the name Christian means that you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to you. So, for example, um, in marriage, I gave my wife my name. She has my, my last name that I got from my father. I could have given that name to anyone, but I gave it to her. And that means that she has a privilege that no one else in this world has. Uh, that means everything that I have is hers. And the same goes for my sons. They have my name. So that means when, when my wife and my sons come to the house, they don't have to knock. You guys do. <laughs> uh, but they don't. This, this, is, this is their house. This is their home. This is uh, everything I have is theirs. In the same way, when I go to your house, well, I, I don't have your names. I knock, right? I'm, this, that, what you have is yours, but it's not mine. But to have the name of the one um, uh, of God means that everything he owns is then yours. To, to ask for it. Ask for anything that is in his name. So this is the access that God gives to him and his kingdom. Okay, that's the second commandment. 
The third commandment, uh, Exodus 28 through 11 says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Now there's quite a lot to clean up around this commandment because there's a lot of confusion. Uh, a number of you have known or heard of the Seventh-day Adventists. Uh, they claim that God still commands for worship to be on Saturday, which is the Sabbath. Uh, that to gather together for church on any other day, even on Sunday, is in fact a sin. That in order for church and worship of God to be right and pure and orthodox and true, it has to be on Saturday. So what do we say? Uh, and and they've, they've kind of uh, convinced a lot of Christians of this. And Christians say, well, why are we worshiping on Sunday if, if this is a commandment? We ought to worship on Saturday. Well, uh, here's our response, <clears throat> that the Sabbath, uh, the Saturday, is a ceremonial law. I talked about this before, political, ceremonial, and moral laws. Worshiping God is an eternal moral law. We should worship God. That's true. But the Sabbath itself, Saturday, is a ceremonial law. So we're no longer obligated to follow the ceremonial or political laws of the Old Testament. Just like we're not obligated to sacrifice lambs on an altar anymore. So too, we're not obligated to worship on Saturday anymore. Uh, the Old Testament command was worship on Saturday, on, on the Sabbath. The New Testament command is worship. And then we'll, we'll talk about some of the New Testament texts here. Um, I'll, I'll point out something else. Every commandment in the Ten Commandments is repeated in the New Testament in some way, shape, or form or verse, except for one commandment. And that is the worship of God on the Sabbath. That is the only one that's not repeated in the New Testament, that it's mandated in this way. Uh, I want to give you a few verses to, to help you understand this, that there, this has been fulfilled that the purpose of Saturday, the Sabbath, has been uh, fulfilled by Christ. And now every day is holy whenever we gather in his name. So Colossians 2, 16 through 17 says this. Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink. That is, you're certain, you don't have to follow a certain diet. You don't have to abstain from shellfish or pork or things like this. Or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So already Colossians 2 is saying, don't let anyone, not even the Jews, not, uh, not other Christians or denominations, pass judgment on you with regard to diet or the day you worship, the festivals and the Sabbath. Romans 14, 5 through 6 says this, one person esteems one day as better than another. So they say, well, the Sabbath is better than any other day, or Saturday is better than any other day. While another esteems all days alike. Um, each one, each one of these, that they disagree with each other, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord. Since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. So if, if you, for your own personal piety, want to fast, 
on every Friday. You just say, I just, I won't eat anything on Friday. Well, then go ahead. That's good. If you're fully convinced that this is a good thing, go ahead and do this. Um, as long as it's not a sin. But uh, that is not binding then for me. It's not that I have to fast or that I impose this upon you and say, well, all of you have to not eat on Friday because if you eat on Friday, you're sinning. Or to say, well, you have to worship on Saturday. If you don't worship on Saturday, then you are sinning. Here, these texts already are saying, well, it's opened. In fact, you, there's uh, chapters 10 and 11 of the book of Acts. It addresses this entirely. It talks about the fulfillment of all these laws in the New Testament. Okay, uh, <clears throat> so we don't get this repetition that we need to worship on the Sabbath. However, Hebrews ten twenty five says that we should not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some. So the New Testament does say you don't have to worship on the Sabbath. You can worship on any day. If, if we want to worship on Tuesday, we can worship on Tuesday. Uh, if, if, so we're not telling the Seventh-day Adventists you're doing wrong because it's not on Sunday because you worship on Saturday. But they're, on the, on the contrary, they're saying that we're wrong because we worship on Sunday and not on Saturday. Well, the point is this has been fulfilled in Christ, that Christ is the Sabbath. He is the rest. Um, so the day is not prescribed, but that we worship is. Now, I want to tell you also why we worship on Sunday in the early church in order to worship together as a community. Um, uh, it's, it's helpful to set a weekly day of worship and that it would be the same time every week so that you know when and where to gather. Right nowadays, it's a little different. I can make an announcement, send a text message out, email, we have the internet. Back then, you, you can only talk to these people once a week. So what do you say? Well, let's meet here at the same time next week, right? So they had to have a formal time to meet and a day to come together and these sort of things. Well, what did the early church do? They chose to meet on uh, Sundays which was the day that the Lord resurrected from the dead, uh, which was the first day of the week. And they chose to, um, to meet on Sundays. And the church has held this position, the Christian church, for 2,000 years. At the very resurrection of Christ, the, the saints are already gathering on Sunday, Sunday after Sunday, each week, over and over and over again. And it's, it's really a beautiful thing that when we come together on Sunday, it is the very day that the Lord rose from the dead, that they found the tomb empty. Um, okay, so that's what, that's kind of clearing up the controversy here on the Sabbath. But what, what is forbidden in this commandment? What's forbidden is neglecting the preached and written word of God and the sacraments. Uh, you can read more about this on John 8, and then again in Hebrews 10. I'll point out three ways that we neglect God's word. Three ways to kind of break this commandment. And for our um, understanding and for all intents and purposes, uh, this commandment is about going to church. It's about coming together, praying with other Christians. Okay, so the first way to neglect God's word is by obviously just not going to church at all. Uh, so it's kind of like a guy who asks a girl out to dinner and then she doesn't show up. Okay, well, here God has prepared a feast, a banquet, uh, and says, meet me here, and I will give you the kingdom of heaven. And then we just stand him up and say, nah, no, I'm not going to go. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that hurts. That's, that's not a good thing. 
Okay, so that's the first thing, is just to not go at all. Uh, the second thing, though, is to go infrequently, even. So that is going, but whenever you get the chance to. So what, what does that say about your priorities, then? Um, if you go infrequently, then the question is, well, is God a priority first? Or just kind of somewhere along the list. Well, how, if you had a list of all the things you, that were important, where is he? And if this is the case, then wh- what do you do? Um, or to say, well, look, church is great. I love God. I love forgiveness. I'd love to go to heaven one day. But honestly, I have a game to play. I have a ball to kick on Sunday. I got to put my kids to, to do karate and, you know, uh, chop other <laughs> chop pieces of wood and things like this. Um, or we got to go to the beach because it's a beautiful day, whatever it might be. It's my only day to sleep in. Well, this is now an issue. And then you say, well, God is maybe down lower on the list than he should be. Um, refer back to the first commandment. So an analogy here is like a wife preparing dinner for her husband saying, hey, every day at six, I'm going to have the food ready. And the husband sometimes shows up <laughs> and um, sometimes he doesn't. And it's like him saying, well, what, you you expect me to be here every time? <laughs> every single time you cook, you want me to be here? Well, yeah, yeah, that, that's the relationship we have. This is a good thing. I've done this for you. Now, if he doesn't go, he should have a really good reason, right? If his wife puts in the work and does all this stuff and cooks and prepares the table, cleans the house, and he, if, if he just doesn't show up, I mean, there should have been a an accident or a traffic jam or something, but to just not show up or to show up infrequently then is a problem. Um, okay, so that's the second thing is one is not showing up at all. Second is showing up infrequently or putting other things before it. Well, the third is going, but then not paying attention. So then, okay, you make it to church, but then you're daydreaming. You're thinking of uh, of the news or the stock market or uh, a movie or whatever with the plans you're going to do afterward. Well, think of that. It, imagine, you know, you take your, your wife to a date for dinner, but she's on her phone the whole time <laughs> and she's not engaged in the conversation. You're talking to her and she's, she's daydreaming. She's thinking about something else. Well, <laughs> well, what's the point? That's no fun, right? There's no, there's no joy in that. Um, so, and, and I say that as one who's guilty myself, that I'm, I'm on my phone more than I should be. And I, uh, one good feature is the do not disturb thing or the power button, just turn it off and then just talk to, <laughs> to, your, to your wife or, or friend. Um, okay, so what's commanded? Uh, what's commanded in this commandment is just gladly hearing and learning God's word. Uh, Psalm 26, 8, this is the, This is what faith says. It says, Lord, I love the habitation of your house. That is, I love church and the place where your glory dwells. I love going to church. (laughs) That's that's what it is. That's what the Christian says. I love being there. Um, Not because it makes me feel good. That's not why I'm going or because it's helpful or this. I love going because I love God and I love his word um, because I love truth. And I'm a child of God. And that's my father. Uh, So what's the purpose of the Sabbath? Um, The purpose of the Sabbath isn't simply, even in the Old Testament, wasn't simply to just abstain from work. 
for the sake of abstaining from work, as if you're doing a good work by not working at all. The purpose of the Sabbath was not to work, to abstain from work, in order to have the time to go to church, to, to not work so that you could listen. Because you can't do two things at once. Either you're working or you're listening to the word. So the third commandment was God protecting our ears and saying, I want you to listen um, to, to what I've done for you, to see what I've prepared for you. So the treasure then in this commandment is God's word that he wants to serve you. So already in the th- first three commandments, you see what God requires. The first commandment, he requires your heart, right? You shall have no other gods before my face. The second commandment, he wants your mouth, your tongue. Don't misuse the name of the Lord your God, but speak, uh, speak my name in, in, and call upon it. The third is about your ears, what you listen to, what you, what you take heed to. Um, so th- that's already, he's calling everything that you do, what's inside of you, what comes out of you, what goes into you, the Lord requires in his commandment. Okay. That finishes the first three commandments. Now we're on to the fourth commandment. <clears throat> this is very, very important here um, because this is the first commandment of the second table. That means that is the priority over all the other commandments between man. Exodus twenty twelve says, Honor your father and your mother that it may go well with you and you may live long on the earth. Uh, again, it's the first commandment of the of the realm within the world of of before your neighbor it's the most important relationship between man why because your father and your mother are what your first neighbors (laughs) they're the first the closest and and first neighbor you have in this life you're in your mother's womb uh your father is your father that's your home and God protects that first and foremost. Now, I, I want to talk about something here that nowadays we're very accustomed to hearing, especially in the States, this idea of egalitarianism, which is the idea that everyone is equal on the same level, right? Um, but the Bible never teaches that we live or that God created an egalitarian society in this way. What God revealed is that there is hierarchy and that it's a beautiful thing. There's beautiful, uh, a beautiful truth behind this order. There's a hierarchy and order and a structure in what God created. Everyone, all of you, have authority over other people right now in your job, in your home or whatever it might be. And also everyone is under authority from someone else. That is, you have a boss, you have Uh, a parent, you have a father, a mother above you. Um, So this is, we have to recognize our place in this structure and in this order. So I want to talk about this. Um, Within the fourth commandment, we have what's called the three estates. There are three estates of authority. One is the home, that is the father and mother have authority over their children. The husband has authority over his wife. Ephesians 4 and 5. And we'll talk about this later. Um, But this is the home, how the home is to be run. The second is the church, uh, that the pastor has authority over the congregation. So there is a structure there, uh, preachers and hearers. Uh, The third is the state. 
and that is the president has authority over its citizens, uh, the police over the common folk. Uh, the teacher has authority over the students, so on and so forth. The boss over the employee. Um, now, of these three estates, the home, the, the church, the state, which is the backbone and most important of them all? It's the home. Because that's where people come from. That's where all of you were in a home at one point. All of you were under a father and mother at one point. So if we're going to protect something, you protect the home. Which means if you want to destroy the church and the state, if, if you were the devil, right? And you could only go after one of these, the home, the church, the state. Well, where are you going to focus your, your efforts and put your, your targets on? Well, it's not going to be the state. It's not going to be the church. It's going to be the home. If you can destroy the home, you've destroyed the church and the state. If we look now into all of the things, the problems that we have in our nation and in our churches, and we say, well, what's going on here? The church is a mess. The, the state is a mess. Well, it's coming from somewhere. It's coming from the home. It, the, the, the state and the church reflect what happened in the home long ago. So if you want to correct the church and the state, where do you start? In the home. You start there. You start between the love between a husband and a wife and the love between parents and their children. It, if you nurture and start there, I guarantee you in 20 years, things are going to look a lot different. Uh, very, very different. So again, church and, and state are symptoms of, of the home. Let me show you a document or a drawing, maybe a diagram that I drew up here. So this is what we would call godly patriarchy. Uh, and, and we'll talk about patriarchy another time too, when we, uh, a little later, but, uh, God reveals himself not just as God or some spirit, but as the father, our father who art in heaven. Uh, so he is the father from whom all other fathers are named. Well, the father then, God the father, institutes the home. Honor your father and your mother. And in the home, your parents, that is the father, has authority over your body and your soul, the physical and the spiritual things. So, for example, your, your parents can punish you for not cleaning your room. But they can also discipline you for not praying. Right? If, if my sons start eating without praying, then I say, stop. You know, spit the food out. We're going to pray. Thank God and then eat. But don't eat and then forget God. So, so that as a father, I have authority over both the, the body and the soul of my children. And that's super important. Now, from this... <clears throat> from the home, this uh, is split off into two other realms where it's delegated from the authority of the father in the home to two other states. And the one estate is the state or the government, which has authority only over the body that is physical. And the other estate is that of the church. And that has authority over only the soul that, or authority that is spiritual. And that these are separated for a reason. There's very good reason. The Lutherans are very, Lutherans are very um, uh, um, aware of this distinction and we uphold this distinction. One of the problems in the Reformation is that they, at the time of the Reformation, was they mixed these two. That the Roman Catholic Church saw no distinction between the state and the church. 
and they were t- carrying out physical corporal punishment on members of the church. <laughs> and they were imposing uh, uh, penalties and taxes and things on members of the church and vice versa. Okay, but this has been separated by God. So that the state then can claim only what is uh, over the body. So that a policeman can arrest you. But he can't withhold forgiveness from you. <laughs> Do you see this? And that the church can forgive or withhold forgiveness. But they can't arrest you. They can't, um, uh, uh, they can't uh, tax you or, or take away your possessions. These sort of things. So these things are separate. So that's the way we uh, consider and understand what patriarchy is. So let me um, say then what is forbidden in this commandment, the fourth commandment? What's forbidden is despising or disobeying your parents and other authorities. And this is something we're all guilty of, uh, even before we're aware of it. First uh, Peter two seventeen says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. That is honor the emperor. Now, with all that being said, authorities are to be respected and honored. However, there are exceptions. And this is, well, let me put it this way. There is an exception, one exception with several nuances, but one exception. You disobey the authority when they command you to sin. When they tell you to sin, then you can disobey. If you're parents, I don't know, for some reason, say you can't go to church, well, then you disobey them, right? Or uh, uh, Acts 5.29 gives us this. It says, we must obey God rather than men. In other words, we obey God and we'll disobey men if they disagree with one another. So push comes to shove. One of them's got to go. I choose man and I'll keep God. For, for example, uh, a couple of years ago, there's a lot of controversy over the COVID lockdowns. Um, the government mandated churches to close. But the third commandment says to go to church. And the scriptures say go to church. And the, gov- the government said, don't go to church. Well, what do we do? Who do we listen to? <laughs> well, then we go to Acts 5.29. We say, well, in this case, when they contradict each other, we must obey God rather than man. Um, I know the government says don't go to church, but the government doesn't understand that the forgiveness of sins is more important to me than health. It's more important to me than air, than life. So I'm going to go and receive the forgiveness of sins because um, uh, that is significantly more important than, than simply uh, listening uh, to, to, this, uh, to what the government said here. So what is commanded then honor your parents and other authorities uh, as God's representative insofar as they agree with God, insofar as they command you to not sin. Now, um, that means if your parents say clean your room, you clean your room. They're not telling you to sin. That means you have to clean your room. That In that case, you do it. Um, but if your parents tell you to steal something, then, then you disobey. Now, the, the treasure here is the treasure of family, the treasure of father and mother, uh, that God chose your exact parents for you. The treasure is the order and the structure that God created for you. Okay, now we're on to the fifth commandment. <clears throat> I think, 
Hold on. Uh, what I'm going to do here is cut off the recording and actually start a new recording because this maxes out at one hour. So let me do that real quick. All right, so we're going to pick up now with the fifth commandment. <clears throat> the fifth commandment is Exodus 20, 13 that says, You shall not murder. Now, this commandment is simply prohibiting destroying human life. Murder is destroying another person, making their heart stop beating, uh, destroying their body. Um, we know this. You can go on online, go to Netflix or YouTube or whatever, and there's all these murder mystery shows and these sort of things. And you see how gruesome and evil and awful murder is and how, how, how much it affects people, the survivors, those who hear and the family members who lose a child. It's, it's so evil. It's very disturbing too. Um, and this is the attribute of the devil. Jesus says uh, the devil is a liar and he was a murderer from the beginning. That is, his goal was to destroy. Remember we talked about this before, that the devil prowls around, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, that is someone to destroy. Now that is his goal. Now when we take that goal upon ourselves and say, well, I want to destroy somebody too, well then you are behaving just like the devil. You are, you're following and doing what he desires and you're carrying out the devil's work. Now, we come across something that is really controversial, especially in, in our day and age, well, in the past 50, 60 years now, uh, and that's the issue of abortion. Abortion is, I'll, I'll just assert it, is the murder of infants, the murder of babies. There's a lot of debate around this issue. I know that there, there are hours, maybe years worth of videos debating the topic. Um, going back and forth, and uh, is it a woman's right? Uh, are there exceptions? But this and this and that. What we need to do is start at the basics. And we have to ask the simple question, what is inside the woman's womb? What is that? Can you point your finger to it? And what is that? If it's a human life, then we can't abort it. Simple. If it isn't a human life, then you can do whatever you want. Uh, that's the argument. Now, my job here as a pastor is to show you what God says, to show you what the Bible says about this very thing. What, what does God say is in the woman's womb? Not science, not your opinion, nothing. Well, what does the Bible say? What does God say? Okay, Psalm 139. I just want you to listen to this. 139 verses 13 through 16 says this. For you, God, formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. You knitted me together. Already a personal pronoun. In my mother's womb. My mother's. Right? How could I have a mother if it's not a child? I praise you, God, for that is because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul already, my soul knows it very well. My frame, my skeleton, my dimensions were not hidden from you. When I was being made 
in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Now, the depths of the earth is a, is a, here is a Hebrew idiom for the womb. It's another way of saying that. But I was, when I was intricately wo woven in the depths of the earth, um, your, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So before I had a day, before I completed one 24-hour period, God already knew how many days I had in my life. Now, I ask you, uh, what does it sound like is in the womb? What does it sound like is what God thinks is there? What is his opinion of what's there? <laughs> it's beautiful. He said, I formed you. You're wonderful. You have a soul. You have a mother. You have a personal pronoun, a name. You're woven together. And you look at the body and you see the muscles and the sinews and the body, how it connects in this beautiful way. It's amazing. At 18 days, the baby has a heartbeat. The baby is dreaming. The baby feels pain. The baby reacts to sound, the sound of the mother's voice. It's amazing. In the hospitals, they play the, the recording of a heart beating um, for the babies, the newborn babies, so that they're soothed and they sleep well. well. Why are they playing that? Well, because that's what they heard inside of the womb. They were already hearing that. And the baby remembers, oh, that was a really cozy, beautiful place. And now you guys pull me out into this AC unit and it's freezing in here and, <laughs> you know, Everyone's wearing masks and all these sharp things everywhere. But th that's why the baby cries, that he was comfortable there. Um, Job 10 says, You clothed me, God clothed me with skin and flesh and knit me together with bones and sinews. You have granted me life and steadfast love. So the, the point here is we say, well, well, what does God think is in the womb? He says that substance, whatever you call it, that substance is a person. That substance has a soul. It is undeveloped. It can't survive on its own right now. But God has days planned and formed for that baby, for that child. So we would say, because God says so, since this is life, then it is not up to me to end it. It's, I'm, not in, I'm not God. I'm not in the place of God. So we would say then, as Christians, abortion is murder. Even in the case of rape, rape is evil. And we're going to talk about that in Sixth Commandment, uh, if we can get to it today. But rape is a very sick and awful sin, and people should be punished to the highest degree for that. That is evil and wrong. But abortion is still murder in the case of rape, and there's no exception in, now, if you go online and you hear, you know, talking points on the radio, things like this, uh, they'll, they'll say, well, we need abortion. We need Planned Parenthood because women are raped and we can't force women to give birth. Well, so you know the statistics, less than 1% of all abortions are from rape. Uh, over 99% of abortions or 99% of abortions are elective. They just want to. Um, that is, they had, they knew they could get pregnant. They consented to it 
and then said, I don't want to be a mom. I don't want to have to give up my money to take care of this baby. And the father abandons the mother. And, and the majority of the time when abortion, abortions happen is not in a family when the father is around. It's when the father, father has left when he's not around. A woman would be happy to give birth if the men just did their job and stuck around and loved them. Um, anyway, abortion uh, takes up less than 1% of, of uh, or rape is less than 1% of all abortions. Uh, now, it's still wrong. And this is because what's in the womb is a human, even if it's unwanted, even if it's in the case of rape. A woman's desire doesn't make someone human or not. Uh, life is objectively, is, a, is an objective reality uh, from God. And life is not determined by us. So, so already in the fifth commandment, we've talked about murder of others, uh, abortion, which is murder. It's just to a younger person. And then suicide. Uh, this is the third thing. Suicide is this. Where you, instead of letting God number your days, like he said in Psalm 139, that he has days for you to live, rather than letting God number your days, you number them and you cut them short. And it's a selfish thing because oftentimes suicide is the best solution for the individual, but it is not the best solution for the family or the, 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 the job or for the church, or for everyone who knows this person. Um, we can talk more about suicide as well and, and these sort of things. Um, I think there's cases of sane suicide and times of insane suicide, when someone is out of their mind and doesn't know what they're doing. And other times they do this very deliberately on purpose as rebellion against God, or to say my life is meaningless and uh, this is how I'm going to show it. Um, so th that's another topic we can talk more about if, if you have questions. Um, also included in this commandment is something uh, that we could call slow suicide. That is living or behaving in such a way in your life that does bring about your death. So, um, I don't know, reckless driving is bad because it endangers others, but it's endangering yourself. Or gluttony that is just uh eating yourself to death is bad that, that's breaking the fifth command that's a that's killing you but in a very very slow way and if you know this then you shouldn't do that or uh, to, uh drug addiction taking drugs to the point that you know it's gonna destroy you um so and anyway these are just some examples of that now again there there are exceptions to the fifth commandment um, there's a distinction we make between murder and killing. Murder is putting someone to death unjustly. So someone, I don't know, they, they didn't do anything and you just shoot them. Okay, well, they didn't deserve that. But killing is putting someone to death justly. That is uh, in a righteous way. Now, let me explain the difference. Um, God has given the right to inflict the death penalty and to wage just war. Uh, some cases are self-defense. So for example, you'll, you'll see this uh, in Exodus 22. 
there it says, if a thief is caught breaking in at night and is struck a fatal blow, the defender is not guilty of bloodshed. So for example, if somebody's breaking into my house, I have no idea. The potentials of what they could do are endless. I have a wife, I have children, I'm, I'm in here too. If somebody comes into my house, I don't, I can't assume that they're coming in to, to be nice to us. If they're coming in at 1 a.m., I'm assuming they're out to get us. And I have to defend myself and my family in the best way possible. And I have to stop this person. Many times this results in self-defense, uh, in beating the person up if you can, incapacitating them, or even shooting them. Um, now it, or, or stabbing, whatever it might be. Again, you're not the aggressor here, but you are defending. This is a just thing to do. This is loving to do for your family. The wrong thing to do is to say, well, I got to turn the other cheek here and go ahead. Here's my family. Just take my life. Um, no, the scriptures do permit uh, self-defense. Now, if you can avoid death, then do it. If you can, you know, I don't know, use a taser and just uh, uh, knock the guy out for a moment, then do it. But there comes a time when you can't. And uh, the, the scriptures give an exception for that. The other thing is capital punishment and war. Genesis 9 through uh, verse 6, chapter 9, verse 6 says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man will his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. So that is, if you kill someone, or sorry, if you murder someone, then God has given the right to certain people to then kill you. If you murder someone unjustly, then you can be killed justly. Uh, Romans 13, 4, he, that is the government, doesn't bear the sword in vain. He is the servant of God to execute his wrath on the wrongdoer. So capital punishment and war are exceptions to the fifth commandment. That God has given this not to me to go out and be a vigilante or, or something like this, but rather to a certain office and authority to do this. In my home, I have the authority to protect my family. Um, the, in the state, the military and the, the officers have the authority to protect and, and, and protect the nation. Um, so, so this is why, I mean, we are pro-life as Christians, but at the same time, we are for capital punishment. Now it, that doesn't mean we have to have capital punishment, but it means that we're not against it. So that if the, if the government does away with capital punishment, we can't say, oh, that's wrong. Um, I, I don't think it's a wise idea, but that it's not a sin. Uh, but if the government has capital punishment, we can, as Christians in good conscience, support that and say, yes, that's right. God allows or permits this. Now, what's the alternative? Is you say, well, you have a, um, a, a serial killer. Well, what do you do? You just let him go? Uh, if he's going to continue uh, with, with these massacres? No, you have to stop him. You tell him to stop. And if he doesn't stop, then, I mean, we put laws in place. But if he doesn't obey that, then you say, anyone who breaks this will be punished. They'll lose their life. Uh, another form of punishment is, um, is life in prison. That's, that's like death. You put, your, put somebody in a cell, you lock them up from doing anything. Um, so those are exceptions. Now, okay, uh, what's forbidden in this commandment? It's murdering others. Everything we talked about before. The second thing is hurting others. So 
anything that is on the road to murder is sin. So beating up somebody and leaving them for injured as close to dead as possible is also forbidden. So so just walking up to somebody and punching them in the gut is wrong. It's breaking the fifth commandment. Because why would you do that? Why would you hurt somebody? It's not in self-defense. You're being an aggressor. Uh, So that's forbidden in the the fifth commandment. Uh, Finally, so this is about the action and the intent. And then finally, um, the heart, which is hating others. 1 John 3.15 says this, Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. Uh, In Matthew 5.22, Jesus says this. He says, um, if you're angry with your brother, you're guilty of breaking the commandment, uh, the fifth commandment. Now, this is really, I mean, this hits home because I can't, um, all of us have been very angry at someone before, uh, maybe even hated someone before that we look at them or we hold a grudge in our heart. That is breaking the fifth commandment. Or looking upon someone with envy and saying, I don't like what they have, or they got the promotion and I didn't, and I hope they get in a car crash, or I hope some, I mean, that's awful, but I hope something bad happens. Um, That is the fifth commandment. So even thinking about this is bad. Now, again, I I know I've talked about this before, but this is a slippery slope. We can't indulge in these thoughts. The second we have these thoughts of anger and hatred and coursing through our veins, we need to repent and cut it off at the source. The more you give in to these sort of thoughts, the more your conscience is hardened, the less it affects you. And the more, uh, so what happens is you have these thoughts, these these, uh, feelings of hatred and anger, and then it grows to words of hatred and anger, anger and uh, um, uh, screaming at other people, condemning them, uh, saying, I hate you, these sort of things. What's the next step after those words? Your hand. Uh, it's, it, the next thing is an action. is a thought or a, a desire, a thought, and then a word. And then finally, the last step is an action. So when we start to hear people talk a certain way, that's a red flag to say, Look, you, you got to stop because if you're talking this way, that means you've been thinking this way for a while. And if you've been thinking this way for a while and talking this way now, the very next thing is acting out what you thought. And this is very, very dangerous. So um, again, this is the fifth commandment, even holding grudges. The treasure here is your neighbor. God is protecting your neighbor from you and you from your neighbor. He says, your, your neighbor's body is a gift from me, from God. And I want you to protect it. It's not up to you to, to destroy that body. Um, when I call that body home in death, that will be the day. And that's up to me. But it's not up to you. Um, okay, that brings us to the end here. I know we're a minute over. Uh, we're at the end of the fifth commandment. So we're halfway through all 10. Next time we'll talk about the sixth commandment. We're going to spend quite a bit of time on that. There's a lot of confusion about things there. Uh, We'll cover the seventh uh, commandment. Eighth commandment, we'll spend a good amount of time there. Ninth and tenth as well. And then we'll conclude with the law. So um, 
so I'll rework the schedule. I'll send things out and then make sure that we can get back on track if possible. Let's close with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right. Take care, everyone. I, uh, again, email me your questions if you have them, and we'll see you uh, next, next time.